What is happening, Charlotte? Welcome back to another episode of Four Transplants and a Microphone, where today we have probably the first time we can actually say this. A long-time listener, first-time joiner, first-time caller, whatever you want to call it. But we are First-time guest, yeah, yeah. We're joined a very special guest, Nick Whitney, who we'll introduce in a minute here. But we're going to be talking Charlotte, entrepreneurial scene, per usual, as we always do on this podcast, whether you're in small business, thinking about moving here, any combination therein, we are here to give you a whole lot of good information and primarily a whole lot of laughs too. Let's hope for that. So quick around the table, I've been Jack Tompkins with Pineapple Consulting Firm. Brandon with Superior Data Solutions. And introducing Nick Whitney. Tell us about yourself, Nick. Give us a little pitch. Thank you so much for joining. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I love the show. As a newbie to Charlotte, it's great to to hear other people's stories. Yeah. So I just moved up here in August, originally from Ohio. I spent a few years in Wisconsin, then bailed into the sunny weather of Florida and made my way up here. Yeah. So all over the place. What People always come here from Ohio, right? Obviously, because you've been in Ohio. What we don't have a whole lot of true, like, north, like, harsh winters, like the Wisconsin's, the Montana's, the Upper Peninsula, Michigan kind of thing. How long were you up there? I was in Wisconsin for about three years. Okay. Did you like it? I loved August and September. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, the thing is, like, there's the Ohio Midwest cold, right? Connecticut, like, like that level of cold. And then when you get up to Wisconsin, Minnesota, like the, those Great Plains, like northern Great Plains states, it's a whole different level. Like, yeah, yeah. I remember the first time being outside and it was minus 30 without the wind chill. <laughs> you take a breath in and it literally takes your breath away. Like, like it's crazy. You, you got to keep everything covered. Like if like I feel it felt like my eyes were going to freeze. It, it's just a whole different ballgame. But I'll tell you, gr- great people, the wilderness scene, like my goodness, just like beautiful scenery. I learned that snowmobiling is a sport where people are very passionate about, right? Growing up, I always thought snowmobiling was, all right, you get on the snowmobile and let's see how fast you can go. But no, there's like a ton of, uh, there's a ton of tact and slalom and like agility. Like it's it's cool. Yeah, it's funny. It was just how many neighbors can they make angry in one fell swoop? But, you know, there's tactics to it. (laughs) Matt say it's also commuting. You can commute on your snowmobile to get to work. Yeah, that's how some people will do it. Yeah, probably six months out of the year up there. Yeah. Um, Anywhere you can throw a bucket of water into the air and it turns into snow, (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So people-wise, they're very friendly. The positive stereotype is that they're very friendly. Florida friendly? Charlotte friendly? Florida's a mixed bag, right? Like, I was on the Gulf side. Okay. So a lot of people from Michigan, Ohio, Indiana would shoot down Interstate 75 and they, they brought their values with them. So... Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of very similar type people in, in terms of friendliness. One thing I found here in Charlotte very early on is it's friendly, but it's, it's more of a kindness versus, a, versus just being polite and nice, right? People, they're kind, they, they actually want to help. I was, uh, my, my car battery died over the weekend. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, who can I call? I'm new, like I don't have like a trusted friend or any family that I can reach out to and say, hey, can you come give me a jump start? So, you know, I lifted up my, my, the hood of my car and got in there and, you know, less than 90 seconds, I had two different neighbors come out and <laughs> were helping troubleshoot out and maneuver the car to get it out so they can jump it. And, you know, that's kind of a microcosm of my experience there the last four months of, is just the genuine nature of people who really want to help. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, so it's, cool. it's above and beyond. I found most of the time, if you get a true like person from North Carolina, it's like a weird, like I, I have a boat over here, and I mean, someone boat has an issue. There's like 15 people on it. Swarm, swarm. We need someone needs our help. Let's yeah. go help them. Yeah, it's like a pit crew just jumps out and starts working on stuff. 
<laughs> it's become our project. Right. <laughs> Bunch of dads come over just flipping burgers well, like, hey, we noticed. But it's kind of nice because, I mean, I've never had that before. So coming and seeing it, it's like, well, you want to be part of it. Like, they did it for me. Of course, I'm going to do it for them. So yeah. It's kind of a unique thing that I've experienced out here. Yeah, it is. It's, it's And we've talked about it a bit, but not to that level. Not like a real tangible example like that, Nick. It's... And I think it's a good description. It's a kindness. It's weird, genuinely invested. Like we want, you know, if you're happy, we're happy. Our community's happy. We're all, happy. and that's kind of the goal. It's very cool here. It's very so business-wise. I know. I mean, it, it is out of a kindness to help the business grow too. Do you like that segue? There you go. <laughs> Beautiful. So talk to us. I won't even say the name or anything. Talk to us about what you do and why you love it. Yeah. You know, so I come from a marketing background. In Ohio, I spent 20 years with a family-owned company. And shout out to all the Ohio listeners out there, Grater's Ice Cream. It is the best ice cream you'll find anywhere. And yeah, so so working with like family businesses, I'm like, man, like you can really see the passion and, and the appreciation of hard work and dedication. And, you know, when my time there was up, I moved to Wisconsin, another family-owned business where I got to travel the country and work with a lot of independently-owned, entrepreneurial-based companies. And like, man, like, Again, like the job satisfaction and the passion of these people, is, are, they're so contagious, so contagious that I thought, you know, let me do it myself. And I decided to open up a restaurant when I moved to Florida and, you know, take that entrepreneurial leap. And, yeah. and it was out of the blue, no restaurant experience, right? Yeah, I'd never <laughs> worked at a restaurant a day in my life. Love it. So yeah, my, uh, my daughter's mom had an opportunity up here in Charlotte. So I was like, you know, I'm going to sell the business and move, move up here. And I decided to continue helping other businesses and started my own little coaching practice where I utilize something called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's a set of tools that I teach the leadership teams of entrepreneurial organizations to help them succeed. Nice. And I'm a big fan of EOS too, because obviously being a data nerd, I know there's a lot of performance metrics that are a big part of the conversation. And then it's how to use those metrics and work with the team and make sure everybody's on the same page, right? And there's weekly meetings and there's things like that. And there's structures for team feedback and team meetings. And it's really the whole, I mean, it's in the name, but it's a whole operating system of the business, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, when I, nowadays, when you speak operating system, people think, oh, it must be a tech company. But it, it's, a, it's an operating system to manage human energy and, and help focus that. And, you know, it comes from the belief that there are really six major components in any business that you have to be strong on. One is your vision, right? Is the vision articulated? Is it concise? Is it shared with everyone in the organization, right? And, and we have tools to help with that, right? People, oh my goodness. I would say everything in business is easy except for the people, right? <laughs> and, you know, we talk about having the right people in the right seat. And how do you find the right people? How do you define what a right person is? How do you set structure first so the seats are there to help you grow? Of course, data, right? Data is Obviously. huge when you're making decisions decisions and developing measurables and, and, and scorecards. There's process, right? You know, if you have a really good process that's, that's able to be replicated and that's how you scale the business and help with the people headaches too, right? If, right. if they know the process, they're going to be much happier, especially if that process is simplified. Issues, right? So there's so many issues facing these organizations and, you know, how do you bring those issues out to light and then solve them for good? And then finally is something that uh, we call traction, the sixth component. And that is, you know, that's execution, right? That's, hold, that's holding people accountable through awesome meetings, through setting priorities in rocks to help move the company forward. And that the EOS is, is helping entrepreneurial organizations be strong in those six components. That's really what it boils down to. Yeah. 
Oh, it's clear and it's simple. And it's, I like that it's all people because it's so funny. Like whenever you pick up a new client or hire a new employee or anything like that, it's always like, all right, people are our greatest assets. Everybody's great. And then five seconds later, you're like, oh, people suck. <laughs> <laughs> so the, a people-focused model with all those different components, I think, makes a lot of sense. Have you done anything with EOS? or uh, any? No, I've never yeah. done anything with anything structured like that. Yeah, I haven't either. But it's, every time I talk with you and other folks like you, Nick, it sounds like a really cool simple process. Yeah, and that's what it's meant to be. It's it's simple, but it's not easy, right? It takes a commitment you know, from the entire organization to be strong in those six components. And, you know, once you are like, man, like growth, like the sky's the limit and you have happier people and you're making more money. And as an owner, you have more time. And, you know, the more complex your business gets, the more, you know, the more simpler it gets to, to figure out things and issues and growth strategy because you have a framework in place to, to help dictate those decisions. Yeah. It's cool. Having that framework just like a backstop to make decisions, to have conversations, to have meetings. I find as I, I now have the fourth official week of having a full-time employee, the more structure, the better in a lot of ways. And just having that backbone is probably very beneficial. And it can be implemented in almost any size of business. Is that right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, typically when an organization reaches around 10 people, there's enough complexity that requires some sort of operating system. But, you know, I ran it in my business when I first started, when it was just me. Before I started hiring staff, it's, it really allowed me to develop a great team because I knew what people I needed, what seats needed to be filled. I was able to develop awesome because of the way that processes are drawn out through EOS. And, you know, I built a disruptive brand because my vision was strong and really thought out and vetted and reality tested. And so, yeah, it works for all sizes. Typically, 10 is where it's needed. And then, you know, once you get too big, then it's, you know, you almost have your own operating system, right? Where you don't need EOS, but EOS is the foundation for these mega companies with 500, 1,000, 10,000 employees. Okay, gotcha. And when you say your business, you mean the pizza shop and the pizza yep. restaurant? Yep. Okay. So tell us about that, because that was kind of a fun story when you and I caught up about it. Yeah. So, you know, I was, when I was in, in Wisconsin doing the consulting, one of, one of my, one of the folks I got to know really well and, and did some work for were the, uh, the World Pizza Champion team. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, to be trained by the best pizza makers in the world how to do really good pizza. You said the world pizza champion? Oh yeah. Is that a is that an award or a brand? It is <laughs> a brand and an award and oh. so it's the world pizza champion team is the brand and they go around the country the world and compete in competitions to to see who makes the best pizza, right? Italy, wow. there, there's a huge event in Las Vegas every year. And, you know, the, it's amazing how much of pizza is a science. I mean, the art, absolutely, but the science of baking and understanding gluten structure and cooking times. And there's so much science that goes behind it. So, yeah, I thought, man, like I had this really cool opportunity. And, you know, I had this idea that let's, if you do a sourdough pizza, how good, man, how good would that be? And yeah, that and some amazing recipes. And, you know, when I sold, we were the highest rated, highest rated pizzeria in Sarasota County. That's awesome. Wow. That's very cool. There's pretty good eats in Sarasota, too. Yes, there are. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Congrats. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah, a ton of work, though, right? Well, you know, like what I say about uh, when you're in the restaurant business is you get to work half days, and you get to choose which 12 hours a day you get to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that. <clears throat> that's funny. I did not, I never really thought about the science of pizza. Like, I've made pizza at home. But, you know, Domino's would still beat my pizza, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, and Domino's has its, it has, its, it has its benefits, right? Like, how easy is it to order a Domino's pizza through your phone? Like, yeah. how can you know what you're going to get every single time? It's cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> with cheese, with cheese, with cheese. 
or a cheese-like product. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You ever gotten an extra cheese pizza from Domino's? I try not to order from there. It was, I don't often there for, and I really do like their own pizza, but we got an extra cheese, this is years ago, and I could not finish a slice. <laughs> it was, one, it was, a, like, unbelievably filling, and two, it was gross. Because <laughs> that much cheese-like product slapped on cardboard wasn't great. <laughs> now, are there any, any in the top, I would say, ten that are trains that made it into the pizza, like, into that ash, thing. upper epsilon? echelon of pizzerias sorry top 10 trained as in but like a chain would you say was there any oh. that actually made it in uh, no it, and that's the problem right with, with chains is when you try to scale you need to create you know typically scaling is done through franchising and you got to create wealth for multiple steps so you got to kind of cut corners a little bit and you know you sacrifice a little bit of the ingredients instead of hand stretching dough in a lot of cases it's you know there's sheeters and presses and so it, it kind of takes the uh, kind of takes a lot of the uh, the art out of it right the artisanal component Components. They're usually baked in conveyor ovens versus on a hot stone. I will say, you know, in terms of the chains, though, the two that do it the best are Jets and Marcos. If I'm in a pinch and I'm in, and I don't, you know, maybe the independent shop down the road is too busy, Jets and Marcos would be my go-to. Interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of it, Jets. Well, it's funny is that you kept when you kept describing. I was like, that sounds exactly what Roundtable does. I don't know if you're familiar. It might be a West Coast thing, but they cook on a hot stone. They stretch their dough, but they're a chain. Man, they have the best pizza. I mean, you can't find it anywhere out here, but that was the only place I'd probably go get pizza. Besides, you know, they had mom and pop shops that were really good. But yeah, for a chain, I was like, this is, and as you were describing, I was like, exactly what they do. <laughs> Check, they do this, they do yeah. that. <laughs> round table, I'll have to try that the next time I'm out in California. Yeah, round yeah. table pizza. They are, the last honest pizza was their uh, <laughs> slogan. <laughs> Are you a pizza snob now? Like- I'm, I'm not a pizza snob, right? Like, you know, at the end of the day, a $5 Little Caesar hot and ready, like right out of the oven, like that's, that's, it's fine, right? Like, yeah, pretty good. It's not, yeah, for what it is, it's not bad. But I appreciate good pizza a lot more. And okay. I'm, I'm much happier to pay for it now that I know everything that goes into making a really good pizza, right? A 48 to 72 hour cold proofing process. You know, train people that know how to stretch, but while keeping... Uh, the, the, the edge is risen and then the, the middle nice and thin for a New York style. So, yeah, like it's like Domino's. Like I haven't had Domino's in a while, but if, you know, you brought Domino's over, I'd, I'd have a slice and right. I'll give you crap about it. It's still decent enough food. Right. That's At least the inside voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, that, that's the maybe that's the Midwest politeness. And <laughs> right, I don't right. know. <laughs> I, was, I grew up in Connecticut and that was, you know, like New Haven is one of the top pizza places, at least in the country. And so every pizza place there was pretty good right and like you still have the dominoes and the papa johns and stuff but coming down here i haven't found i found perfectly good pizza and it's all been totally acceptable even if it's like something like a chain like Domino's or something i haven't had any pizza that's really knocked my socks off i mean you've only been here for a bit but have you tried any pizza places Has any yeah stood out? i've tried a bunch and there's a lot of good ones the best the best pizza i've had isn't they don't have brick and mortar they have, uh, they have food trucks and trailers. I don't know, maybe half a dozen of them. They're all around town constantly. King of Fire Pizza, I think they're based, goodness, maybe in Fort Mill, like somewhere down south. But oh, they, wow. they, you know, we're, we're doing this in Huntersville right now. So they do come up here with different events. But if you follow them on Instagram, like amazing content. And man, the, the pizza is out of this world. It's, it'll rival anything you can get northeast. Okay. King of Fire? King of Fire. Okay, not Ring of Fire. King of Fire. King of Fire. Okay. That would be Johnny Cash. <laughs> <laughs> 
Peg, you can do a spit on that. I'm sure you can make pizzas in a ring. I don't know. It's a good point. Thank you for the, to the Fox and Hound in Burkdale in Huntersville for hosting us. They do a great job. Every time we have a networking event here after, and they've been very accommodating. So you've been in Charlotte for four months now. You've done businesses across the country and across several different industries. What do your clients look like now? I guess, can they be anywhere? Yeah, you know, with the with Zoom and Teams and video conferencing, technology with cameras and you know they can be anywhere you know but i still have the firm belief that you know when it comes to helping these entrepreneurial organizations team health is more important than anything and to get real true camaraderie and trust and building on that trust for candor and you know really focusing on making the right decision for the business that team health is best done face to face yeah. So being in a room together, you know, for annual planning over two days back to back where you can remove yourself from the business and in between the two days, go out and have some fun and really get to know people on a personal level. That's really important. Yeah, yeah. I agree with the in-person. There's some things that Zoom and all the remote stuff just does not replace that you've got to be in person when you're dealing with that kind of level of interaction. It's just something is missing when you're doing it over Zoom. It just doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't get the point across and you can't really feel the vibe in the room you know I, like yeah. i said i'm just a real big fan and i do it work and it's coming from the it guy yeah, it's right. just, yeah there's something about being in person that's just not the same yeah, yeah you know, zoom the video conferencing one there's a bunch of distractions right so it's really hard to focus on solving issues and you know all the work that needs to be done but it's also harder to read emotions right like the nonverbal yeah. cues and and you know zoom is great for Things like training for check-ins, you know, a quick presentation. Oh, well, that's fine. But when it comes to really building a healthy team and a great organization, you know, you need to be able to pick up on, on those nonverbals and look someone right in the eye. And that's how you build trust. It's where I don't think we're wired quite yet, maybe in the future. But when there's that screen barrier, there's still that barrier for true, open and honesty with your peers. Yeah, I still have a dress shirt on and shorts. <laughs> right, exactly. Business on top, party on the bottom. Yeah. Right? yeah. So aside from the people aspect, when you go, if you were to take just a cross cut of all your clientele, what's kind of the common thread of issues that I guess one to five businesses are running into that, like I said, it's not really people oriented because usually when you're starting a business, you don't have a ton of people to mm -hmm. deal with, you know, you and yourself that have to get it done. But You and your what, thoughts. <laughs> yeah. What would you say that main thread would be? Like, I know for my business, a lot of times it's accounting, sales, like those kind of things, kind of that common thread. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, it, it just depends on the entrepreneur, right? So if you really think about the core of a business, there, there's really three main areas, right? You have your revenue generating area, right? Your sales and marketing. You have your value fulfillment in, in operations. And the third is kind of that, uh, the running of the business, the finance, the administration, that, that's the third part. So simplified sales and marketing is one, operations is two, finance is three. And you know, real issues come from starting out where that entrepreneur is either really strong or really weak. Right. So, you know, in my personal story, this would be a pretty good example. I was the weakest on the finance side. Right. And that's where I would run into the most issues because, you know, look at, you know, making doing my numbers and expenses and reporting and all that stuff. I didn't outsource. Right. I wanted to do it myself because it's on bootstrap. Right. I wanted to you know, 
save money where I can. And that doesn't give me energy, right? That drains my energy or looking at financials. Yeah. So that, I'm like, I don't understand. Yeah. This guy's crazy. <laughs> that, like Jack. But I have another client, you know, who comes from an operations background and, and hates the sales part and, yeah. you know, avoids that. And we tend to avoid what we're not, what we, what we assume we're not good at or what drains our energy. And for him, it was the sales and marketing side it is where he really needed help. So early on, it's, it just it depends on the strengths and weaknesses of that individual you know, founder, you know, the small people they start up with. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Like for me, sales is just grind. It's, yeah. it's not, there's never that feeling of accomplishment and it's nothing that you have in your control. You could put on the best presentation and have the best product, best everything. And it comes down to the, yeah, I don't want it. <laughs> right. I don't feel like I need that. <laughs> yeah. It's because sales is a different animal. Oh, three of those. I mean, financials, marketing and sales and operations. You could easily hate any of them and easily love any of that matter too. But it sounds like it's very, and intentionally very founder centric because that is the person who's kind of leading the charge and giving the direction. So it's where, and I'm thinking about this selfishly. So where did I mess up that we can fix or we can improve? Is that, so it starts founder centric and then kind of goes to the employees. Is that the, yeah. And you know, the opposite is true as well. Like once you start building a staff, right, you start building out your team. So you have someone who's responsible for sales and marketing operations, finance, and you know, my background is marketing. And if, you know, I could easily see a scenario where I give that up and that becomes weak because I'm either over-supporting or under-supporting and not letting that person mm. truly own that seat and hold them accountable. Yeah. Do you ever see where, because usually when you have personalities that are good at one thing opposed to another, usually there's friction between two people that you'd bring in. Like someone's very operational focused, mm. salespeople will drive them nuts. Yep. And salespeople will be driven nuts by accounting. Yep. You know, it's just like, there just couldn't be in opposite directions and that friction in that team because sales wants to go, well, I need this to get this. And accounting's like, well, I'm not spending that kind of money for whatever you think you need to go accomplish your sales mission. So it's just funny that the, those three pieces need to be together and they're so opposite of each other. Yeah, it's like three points on an equilateral triangle, right? Yeah. Where they can be very far apart. And that, that's where the health of the organization really comes in. If you can be honest and open with, you know, if you're the operations person and the salesperson is just crushing it, right? And you can't keep up for operations. You know, you need to be able to have that honest conversation uh, that's aligned with the core values of the organization and, and the overall vision to say, hey, we need, this is an issue. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about how, you know, either we can invest more in operations or slow down the sales pipeline. And that's where the health can really, of that team can you know, really dictate that friction and try and reduce that. Health, healthy friction is a good thing. It's when it's unhealthy. It's when people don't speak their mind. It's when they're in it more for themselves than the organization. That's where the problems really come in. But if they have the organization's best heart, organization's best interest in mind, and they're open and honest, man, that's where that friction is really healthy. Yeah. I remember a line from somebody you worked for. He said, you never listen to the accountant because they're always looking in the past. And she was in the room. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love your phrasing earlier, too. Like, let's see what you think you need. <laughs> and I'll give you a budget. I will probably have to wrap up on the next point here. But it's interesting with the small amount of people because there's personalities play a big role. Like, obviously, they do in a thousand person company, too. But when there's five people, you are very aware of probably like not even whatever it's personality is, but probably what they make also. And it's a very intimate feeling. And it, back to the like the backbone, 
having those core values in the corporate company, it's very easy to just throw them up on a wall and be like, here, we think these things are true. But in a small business, it actually means something, right? And it, it seems like one of, I don't want to say one of the pillars, but at least a talking point or a backbone or whatever of the EOS conversation, friction, meeting style, right? Yeah, it, that goes back to having the right people, right? Yeah. Right people that align with your, with your core values. And as an organization, you're hiring, firing, recognizing, rewarding on those core values. And yeah. those core values are genuine. They're not aspirational, right? The big corporations that slap them on their website, like how many people within those organizations actually truly fit those core values? How many could recite them? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how many even know that? That's a great point. Yeah, no, all right. I, I agree it's with a, that. Yeah. You know, they got to have that pre-canned corporate freaking right, right. <laughs> achievement <laughs> posters. Yeah, yeah. The cat hanging on the clothesline. <laughs> yeah. Hang in there. Exactly. <laughs> well, awesome. Nick, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Great conversation, guys. Yeah, this was a thank good you. one. Looking forward to talking more. And thanks again to the Fox and Hound in Burkdale. If I had a perfect day, I would have it start this way. Open up the fridge and have a tall boy. Yeah. Then I'd meet up with my friends.